Hello, 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 hello. It's good to see you. Say hello. Welcome to the Huskies Hockey Podcast. Wealthy and Andrew sitting here after another two-point weekend for the St. Cloud State uh, Huskies men team as they uh, win in overtime on Friday before losing in CC, breaking a, a drought that spanned, um, you know, a little over a decade of uh, of. Uh, uh, CC not being able to beat the Huskies in Colorado Springs and uh, women were able to take a point on uh, the first game. Uh, it was a Saturday Sunday series. So I'm going to get that confused. Don't go by CHN. Always take that with a grain of salt. Um, uh, but yeah, first game uh, getting a point forcing overtime before the healthy Harvey uh, gets the overtime goal. Um, and then uh, Wisconsin was able to pull away in the second game uh, for for the victory there. So let's uh, let's uh, talk about the CC series again. Another two point weekend, our fourth in a row. Uh, we're starting to get uh, quite accustomed to to that. Um, and I think I've come to the realization um, of something that I've kind of been dealing with uh about this team and i think i'm going to hold that on a little bit later so i think i'm going to just have that as a little bit of a tease okay. uh but just kind of overall um i'm disappointed i'm sure the team is disappointed uh where are you on the disappointed to angry scale or like just how this 2024 has gone absolutely pear-shaped even though we're i mean we're still getting points you know, we finally dropped to 15 in the pairwise, uh, being able to hang on for 13 for an absurdly long time. So what are you, uh, what are your thoughts here, Andrew? Yeah, I'm not sure if anger is the right emotion. I was much angrier at the, uh, during the Omaha series. That's probably where my anger stage, because is what did not anger or is it anger denial? bargaining something else and acceptance. I, I, I can't believe this, but yes, that's actually good. My realization. And I was going to put this at the end, but I might as well so get to it denial. right now. No, I've gone through the whole stages and I've realized What's that I've stage gone that I'm, that I'm missing five yeah. stages. So there's, so it starts out with denial, right? Okay. Denials. For, and, yep. Yep. And, and anger. so, so then let's go back. Let's go back to what my thoughts were and what my process is. My denial. Denver. And we're North Dakota, you're, you're like, we're, oh, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. <laughs> we're outplaying them. We've all played yep. uh, Denver for most of the periods. We really handled North Dakota um, with exception you're of you're like North of Dakota ain't any good. They're no great. They're not any good. Yep. Exactly. Total denial. I skipped over anger. Well, I, so I feel that second. emotion for the um, Omaha game, especially yeah, our series, yeah. especially the Friday game against them yelling yeah. at the TV during that one. Yep. So next one be bargaining. And my bargaining was always just a couple of little correction. All we need to make, you know, if we this just road regroup, trip, oh, it'll be great. It, you know, it, you still got time. You can make it up. You just you take a, fine. take a majority mm-hmm. of the points in CC and then you'll be fine. 
Yep, exactly. I was like, it was just a little bit of miscues on defense. Maybe if we just, you know, uh, uh, you know, a couple of mishandles with the puck, we clear up these things that are all fixable. I remember I, I really hung on that world. These are all fixable mistakes that we didn't make early in the season. If we just fix these little mistakes, I, I, I we're going to be fine. I did not hit depression. Depression. Yes. Okay. Um, so I didn't hit depression. Um, however, after the fourth goal on Saturday, when we again gave up a power play goal or, or a goal on the power play, we gave that up to a team again, 10% on the power play, you know, equivalent of Stonehill here that we're giving up power play goals to um, on credit to them. I guess it was a really good passing play and they had about four grade a chances. They finally scored on the fourth one in that power play. They really worked it over all over the Huskies defense. I, I hit acceptance at that part. And I, I just, I, I said to my wife and I said, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the rest of the season. I am. And call me a pessimist. I'm throwing in the towel, whatever you want to do. But this team and how they have been playing, how they've been losing, and the fixable mistakes, the mistakes that I've said that are fixable, we keep making them, which makes me think that they're not going to be fixed at this point. It's like there's only so many times you can shoot yourself in the foot before you reload the cartridge and then keep doing it. And it's like just that quote I had last week. Yeah. And and I, I thought it'd be fixed by now. And, you know, we got we've got bad turnovers. We've got defensemen literally laying down on the play, letting the, the CC players skate around us. Uh, horrible breakouts um, wherever like stretch passes that are nowhere near connecting. And it's just and the, the biggest thing that I'm trying to struggle with. And I promise I'm going to let you talk, which Keep is why on. I wanted to, which is Happy why I listen. wanted to put this. That's right what we're here for. End. I'm here to listen. <laughs> this is this is my therapy you are you are cheaper than my therapist i will say that so i do appreciate that um but it's you 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 just get to the point where i i I don't know it's just everything just ends up we keep making these same mistakes and the biggest thing that i'm hung up on is that we looked slow I've been saying that aggressive teams have, are a thorn in this in the Husky side, and I think that CC is a decent team. I don't think they're incredibly good because they don't have a lot of, you know, offensive firepower. Um, but they're tenacious, they're aggressive, and I think they're really quick, and that really frustrates the Huskies. And it really, I've, I just, I don't remember a time where a St. Cloud team was so outpaced as much as they were this series. It's a lot. Uh, it's a lot yeah. to digest. So I'm at acceptance. I'm just going to ride out this season. I'm going to enjoy the season. I'm still going to cheer for them. I still are going to hope they make the NCAA tournament. But at this time, at this point, I'm, I'm not seeing that. Acceptance gonna, to me kind of implies that you're accepting that this isn't a tournament team. Would I be yeah, correct? Correct in that assessment. You are correct. Nothing in the last 
four series has made me think otherwise. And I, that's kind of what I said last week. Like I said, if we had to pick the field episode last week, I probably wouldn't have picked the Huskies. I, I mm. wouldn't for sure. I wouldn't pick them this week if we did such a, such a bit. It's weird because I had already come to this stage after the Alaska series in October. I'm like, yeah, this looks to be a, a, a rebuilding year. It's young. They're young. And okay, we were just way off on our expectations, but you know, I could still enjoy the season. And then November and December happened. And then that kind of recharged our preseason expectations for the team. And then the calendar flipped. And now I'm back to where I was right around Halloween. And so I guess, yeah, I was getting the, the emotion scale depression probably was where I was at this weekend. Cause I didn't, I wasn't necessarily angry. It was more kind of depressed and a little bit shocked because the other fig leaf that we could attach ourselves or the hope to the last three weekends prior to this one was I mean, there were some exceptions like the second period in the first Denver game, but for the most part, like we went through it last weekend or last show about how many dominant periods St. Cloud had been having over the last three weekends, mm-hmm. you know, 18 yep. to four shot advantages and dictating play 30 to 35 shots per game. Really those last five games, not counting the first, the, the clunker in Denver. And so I was hanging my hat on the fact that that's generally a sign of sustainable good play. You keep that up, the bounces will go your way. You can, as you said, iron out some of those defense defensive miscues, and the offense should be able to carry you. Well, that was the thing this weekend that was missing. We still had the defensive breakdowns, the turnovers, sloppy play, but we didn't have the offensive push that we had the last three weeks prior to this. And against the CC team, that really surprised me. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd even necessarily agree that they were so fast. I was surprised at how uh, physical they were. I mean, this was a very rough and tumble series. We'll, we'll get into the physicality of it because I'm sure that's top of mind uh, when summarizing the series. But it wasn't as much I thought that the Huskies were just uh, getting skated circles around by a quicker team. It's just that they weren't able to ever kick it into high gear. There was one stretch because the first eight minutes or so, CC dominated that play the, the Friday game. It just so happened that the first shot for, for the Huskies went in, Cooper goal. Yeah. Um, but that might have been the only shot they had for that first eight minutes or so. But then I thought after maybe the second half of the first period in about first eight to 10 minutes of the second period, I thought the Huskies seemed to get their legs and they seemed to be at that point dictating play. But, you know, since like the second period, second half of the second period on Friday throughout the rest of the weekend, the Huskies were skating uphill and they, they could not match CC for whatever reason. That third period on Friday was, it was one of those periods that we had talked about for the Huskies the last few weekends, 20 to five or something shot advantage. And, Mm-hmm. I think the saving grace getting two points out of this weekend, you mentioned you don't think CC is all that great. I would agree with you because if they were even, I think a notch better, they would have swept both of these games And the Friday game probably wouldn't have been very close, maybe four to one win or something like that. They were helping them out with 
missing the net on golden opportunities and able to generate a lot of chances, but weren't able to finish and, and credit for Bassey. I think a, a, a comeback weekend for him. And he yeah. definitely looked better than he did. Um, I'll say the first five periods of the weekend, the, the Friday sat or the uh, third period on Saturday, we saw a little bit of the uh, Bassey we've seen of late, but for the, for the whole, I thought he was, he was much better than he has been recently. And he is to credit for keeping the Huskies in the, in the game and getting that game to overtime, weathering a bunch of strength, five on three in, in, in uh, overtime there, basically for the first minute and a half or so. And so nice to see him, you know, rebound. Um, but it was the offensive pressure or lack thereof that's really troubling. Um, I'm not going to label this rock. I would hope that this is rock bottom. But we got Miami coming up this weekend, and <laughs> we I have a chance to hit rock bottom. Very close to when I after that Alaska series, they were playing Miami. The following series, they got a bye week in between uh, that time. Uh, that that portion of the schedule don't have the benefit of, of getting off weekend before you hit them this weekend. But after that, you know, looking forward to that first Miami series, I was like, I can't expect more than a split, uh, and. I feel the same this, this time around. And if you get, if you get less than that, I think it's, yeah, that's rock bottom. And I would, I would at that point probably be surprised that St. Cloud would make the tournament. I there's still certainly a chance. You've got eight games left in the conference schedule and there is time to write the ship. So I'm not, I'm still, I I don't, I'm not putting my eggs in the basket that, that this is, necessarily uh, i'm not writing it off but i'm not also confident that they will make the tournament this year i'm the same with you i i've accepted um just to enjoy the games and i'm looking forward to going and seeing them in person this weekend we'll talk about that um but uh because yeah i i can't fly halfway across the country you know bring my sandals and my my, my <laughs> suntan lotion and then be miserable on the beach in between kind of disappointing wins on the weekend. I, I, I have to go there with the mindset that I'm there to have fun and um, enjoy my vacation, my spring break, so to speak a little early, but still um, Sandy beaches in, in February. It's, it's, it's good, good enough for me. So I don't know we're going to dissect a lot of the, what went wrong this weekend because it was different from what was going wrong. I mean, some of it was the same, uh, namely some defensive miscues, but as a whole, it kind of was a little different because he had better goaltending this weekend and he just didn't have offense show up. Yeah. And so that was a little bit of a departure from what's been going on the last few weeks. But, you know, again, now it's eight games in a row that you haven't won a regulation game. I mean, the, the overtime win is a, is a plus, you know, it goes into, part of pairwise as a full win, like in your comparison at CC. So I hope that they're not taking that much of a reward out of that, but at least it is a step in the right direction, but you seem like the one step in the right direction. You took two steps back on Saturday, uh, unable to, to get the job done there. And so no response. I mean, they're just what a lack of counterpunch. Yeah, and that's that's the depressing part of the weekend is that I just again if this was another one of these games where you're out shooting the opponent and you got thirty plus shots and you just ran into Embarco who did play well but 
you didn't test them nearly enough that I thought that you would, um, it'd be a different story. Maybe I'd still cling to some of that, you know, dumb hope, but I don't know. I, I'm not, again, I'm not writing the season off, but I, it just, it lowers the expectations and this, this team Mm -hmm. more so than the other teams that we've covered on the show, whether or not the last two years or the first iteration of the show, this team seems to be much more of a roller coaster. Uh, I'm always modifying my expectations because it, they do seem to be kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team where I'm not sure what exact, what, what, what the, what the make of the team and how they play. I don't know how to, how to expect that from one weekend to the, to the next. And that's a little weird, but um, yeah, obviously not a, not a weekend that that's a memorable Mm -hmm. one. And, uh, but like I said, it's not rock bottom yet. And it, or that could be rock bottom. This is a kind of another turning point in the year. And so we'll see how they respond here against uh, Miami this weekend, but sort of on your, on your boat, I'm not, uh, not obviously thrilled with how the weekend went. Yeah. Looking at here, we're still, we're still sitting in what second place in the conference. That's right. Um, And um, you know, North Dakota has, um, you know, a seven point lead. So they got a, pretty handy lead here but um at the same time it's yeah it's it's not like sound the alarm bells everything's going i just like you said how modifying expectations that's i I think you hit it kind of right on the head there for me too it's just like my expectations now um have changed to where it's like i just don't think this team has it um and you know, to when you said about, you know, how I thought the Huskies looked slow and, you know, you said it's not that they were fast and they're physical. It's like you got a point there. And I think that's maybe it is like we look slow because we could like they were just always in our face. And by the end of the set, you know, by the by the end of the Saturday game, that you know, frustration really came to a boil um, when there was a lot of chippiness and a lot of. Uh, a lot of scrums uh, after the whistle and and uh, some extracurriculars that ended up taking place between both teams, a lot of chirping uh, between them. And, uh, you know, that might be something where if they do play um, sometime towards the end of the season, um, it's uh, it's going to be kind of a game that's going to be kind of interesting to uh, how the turn of events are going to kind of unfold there. So, um yeah let's uh talk about the games themselves uh friday's game two to one overtime win kupka like you said um one shot one goal um and i feel like like it's it's another game and i didn't fact check this because why would i fact check on this podcast but but, um it feels like we've had a couple of games here where we do get that early goal um and nothing really comes of it um i felt like we had the early goal um uh, early one against, against omaha omaha right Saturday so game. yeah so i don't know it's just nothing really comes from that after after that and it you know really from that moment on it was just kind of colorado college uh dictating play um cc uh what they feel like they get a goal um ends up getting waved off and challenged uh, for goaltender interference, which I thought 
was a risky challenge. I actually didn't agree with the challenge in the first spot because just had burned the timeout. So you yeah, were risking you just a minor the penalty there for yep. delay a game if you lost the challenge. Yeah. So, you know, losing a goal and then a penalty as well on top of it to essentially an NCHC review, which is a coin flip. Um, and then uh, ended up working out for them. So which I know, a, a break. I mean, I, I thought there yeah. was some interference there, but as you said, whenever you put it in the hands of NCHC refs, there was no such thing as a open and shut case. And a quick review too, yeah. which also I was like, wow. All right. They came to that conclusion. And that is quickly. a judgment call, which again, you can say that that's clear interference. I still think it's, a, I mean, it's a gray area call. It's not like they're reviewing it, whether or not the puck crossed the line or something like that. So I was a little pleasantly surprised that that, that that uh, goal was overturned. And at that time, yeah, kind of, kind of feeling good about the weekend at that point, maybe, you know, maybe you got the uh, good fortune um, for, for the, for the series started on on the right foot, but alas, Mm -hmm. that did not stick around. And you're saying too, about like scoring first, which they've done a good amount. Um, Even, I mean, throughout this entire streak, I mean, he scored first in that the one den- the the clunker in Denver. He scored first in that game. The second yep. North Dakota uh, game, he scored first there. Scored first in both Omaha games, and then on Friday in, in CC, he scored first. Another one too. This was for Friday, Friday's game. That was the third out of four games at that point that the Huskies had taken a third period had taken a lead into the third period, and. uh, no regulation wins in any of those games. Yeah. Uh, and this one was an overtime win. The other two uh, ties slash, well, tie against North Dakota and then overtime loss against uh, Omaha. So, I mean, it's the other thing too, having leads, having late leads and coughing those up, never a good sign either. And, yeah, so it, it takes them into the third period with that one nothing lead. But as you mentioned, that uh, not-so-hot uh, CC power play came back to uh, to burn you, and that uh, produced the game-tying goal. First goal that CC had scored on old friend uh, Dominic Bassey. <laughs> two shutouts prior to this and two periods of shutout hockey prior to the uh, game-tying goal in the third on Friday. But got the monkey off their back, and... The rest of that period after the uh, game tying goal was remember when I mentioned like they, they, this team kind of tends to go on tilt. This was yeah. a tilty period. That was a very tilty Especially period. towards the end when Lukey takes three penalties, two of them on successive shifts late in the game. And then Wiley joins him to set up that five on three and straddling the last few seconds of regulation. And then a good chunk of overtime to start it. We're not thinking, I mean, especially with the history of, of CC this year in overtime, they're just like, yeah, where, where is the Laba winner? Just waiting for yep. that patiently. Uh, but uh, never came. Uh, they were able to weather that storm and somehow uh, able to win that game with a, uh, with a Verner goal late in the overtime session. And it just after he scores that goal and, you know, CC does a little desperation challenge why not i suppose um <laughs> sweat that Which, out 
I didn't think you could review puck out of play. I didn't think so either. It's kind of like so, uh, uh, Larson, like whether or not he was considering challenging for the non icing call last weekend against Omaha. It's like desperation's a sneaky cologne at some points, <laughs> but, uh, but after that was made official, then you're kind of just thinking, okay, highway robbery. This yep. one was a stolen two points. And at that point, I'll take it because there ain't too much to be we happy had about. Two points stolen right. from us earlier. That's so, right. but two points and feeling as, you know, the least amount of confidence that you can take out of an overtime win in that situation. Yeah. Pretty ugly. Yeah, two points. And as we're sitting on the bubble, um, too, like you said, uh, our, a pairwise complete head to head victory, which definitely helps in the, in those comparisons. And um, I expected a little bit of um, a response, uh, maybe a wake up call for, for the Saturday game that didn't happen. Um, VT uh, has a stomach bug, not able to go uh, in, in that game. Um, and. Um, which is yeah. a bummer. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that's a huge, I mean, that's our what leading goal scorer. Right. Um, Thankful. I suppose so, that nobody else had the stomach bug, or at least maybe some people did. They just didn't, uh, they played through it. Uh, that would make sense based on what we saw on Saturday. Yeah. Some of those guys weren't a hundred percent health. Um, so it's, I mean, more of the same story. Aggressive CAC was able to cause the Huskies fits. Uh, you know, takes a two nothing lead. Um, shortly after, though, uh, Mason Solquist uh, gets the uh, goal on the power play, um, which you know, of course, he does because I always question why he's on the power play. So it's, um, I, I guess you know, obviously, I'm happy about it, but. Um, two to one. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is, you know, we're going to get kind of get back into it. So I, I like our, you know, I'm, I'm still optimistic. I'm still hopeful. Great pass um, by the way, by Okabe on that, um, on that power play goal from Salquist, kind of like between the legs kind of yep. no look dish. It's nice. Yeah. Um, it's had a couple of those, um, over the past, uh, stretch. Mm-hmm. He had that no look pass against North Dakota, I think it was. I think um, in Omaha too, he had some nice plays. Oh, was in Omaha. So uh you know he's seen the ice well. Uh Mason Salquist, by the way, uh that was his fourth goal of the season. Um if you remember his over under was at four and a half. Oh, really? So one uh one more he hits the over on the prop bet which um, I do have an update later in the show as well for a prop bet that did hit. So uh, keep us us posted. Stay tuned for that. I'm guessing Uh, I took the under on Solquist. Yes, you did. Not not surprising. uh, But I did too. So I guess that's uh, makes sense. So, um, but then uh, a third period comes and, you know, this is kind of the, the play that really, really irked me is um, Huskies, um, you know, kind of digging around the puck. And if you see, if you watch the replay play in the upper left-hand corner, you, you see Salquist gets hit from behind. And it's not the behind hit that concerns me because it's not, it wasn't like a dangerous hit or anything like that, but it was still 
he was hit without the puck deliberately. So that should be a penalty. And especially because I thought there was a big difference between how the two games were called. Um, you know, I felt that there was a lot more called during the Saturday game than the Friday game. So I thought that precedent was already set that they didn't want to let this one get out of hand, which spoiler alert, it did anyway. But, um, like, you know, he gets hit and then the puck gets to him and then he, you know, tries to make a play from his knees, ends up getting a bad touch, turnover, two on one down low, and then they pop it in for the third goal. And then after that, I was like, OK, I don't I don't think we're going to be able to come back um, from this just from, you know, how the game was going, how the teams are playing. Um, but it was just it was just that kind of hit in that play that I was just like, well, this is just another like this is a, like a series where just nothing went right even though we did get two points the night before i was like there wasn't a lot to smile about this series no. um and then um there they made the power play gold uh to make it four to one uh which again this team 10 percent you can't let them score so many power play goals um but uh it is what it is so that's, you know, at, at that point, I was just frustrated. Kupka gets a, a kind of a little bit of an insurance goal there at the end or, a, you know, kind of a stat, uh, garbage, a stat helper. Garbage time goal. Garbage time goal. Uh, then, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the festivities happened. Um, oh, Millar, Rogers, O'Coin, Strasky all get roughing calls within the last minute. Millar gets a 10-minute misconduct. Um, so... But uh, it was a, yeah, it, it kind of puts your, um, I don't know, it, it just put the team kind of in perspective of me. And it's just like, uh, go Huskies Woo and I were kind of talking about it through the game. It's like, it's just, we got, we got kind of a lot of grinders on this team and a lot of Jags. And it's, we're, we're just, you know, if, you know, we, we don't get the consistency when it comes to the, uh, the scoring. Molinar has been held off the, the goal scoring sheet since his, yeah. you know, surprising, um, you know, seven goals from earlier in the season. He's He's been quiet. Okabe was quiet at the beginning, um, started to come around a little bit as late. Yeah, I mean, VT has been consistent, but at the same time, you know, he was out this last game. So, I mean, that's a big, you know, cannon in your arsenal that, that you're not able to tap on. Um, and then again, the defensive wolves continue. Um, Lidke, again, terrible weekend. Yeah. Absolutely abysmal from all aspects. Worst I've seen him play. Um, uh, and then just uh, appeared. I don't think he had a great weekend. Um, Wiley, Wiley I, I think, I, I think was even incredibly our, bad. our heroic stay at home guy. I don't think he had a very good game, especially on Saturday. You mentioned the uh, Falk way... made one play, one play that um, I think he was able to catch Laba on a breakaway or something guess, along that, those that lines. That is right. But then that, there was that two like, on one where, and then the two on one is like, well, <laughs> there goes that goodwill. You were didn't help him on that play either. He kind of sprung the two on one to begin with, and then Falk just went Correct. To, you know, committed too early on the on the slide. Um, yeah, I agree. The uh, the defense, not much of improvement, maybe even slightly worse uh, than last weekend, like coming off the Saturday game, let's say last weekend. 
And again, he only he only gave up the one goal on Friday, but uh, there was still way too many turnovers and you know, offense created out of turnovers in both games. Like I said, if CC was just a little bit better, these games wouldn't have been necessarily very close. That's the other thing too. We kind of call this one where yes, I mean you had Laba and Varemyev uh, get some points. The the two goals in the third period on Saturday uh, were those two players involved in that scoring, but it's the rest of the goals. It's Tommy Middleton, yeah, right? Ooh, uh, Stanley Cooley. What? Um, Zachariah wisdom scored the one goal for him on Friday and he is a top line player, but you know, just his sixth goal of the season and nine points, nine points, nine, 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 nine for, uh, for wisdom, a drafted player. He actually looks pretty decent for them, but, um, yeah, you weren't you weren't beaten by the star players this weekend necessarily. I will, I will say Labo did stand out. I think he's going to be a good player. I can see part of his recipe for his overtime success too, because if you saw him, Saint Cloud had like a two on one in overtime on Friday that I think Gross uh, took the shot and was saved. Mm. And lot they just threw the pack past Alaba, who was just standing at the blue line waiting for a breakaway. So they suck holing a little bit, I think. Which might be like uh that might be good strategy for three on three Colin hockey because it's like oh, heck he's yeah. not gonna be able to make it down to the play anyway. So might as well have him just hang out at the blue line. If they do save it, then he can just yeah, that's that's clown hockey in in just a perfect little sequence there. Uh, and, and then out of that worst case scenario, you miss the pass. You're going to beat out the icing. Right. So, yeah. I mean, doesn't matter there. So there it is. Three on three enabling suck holing. So mm-hmm. that's another check in the, in the minus box for three on three hockey. But yeah, he looks like a good player. And I he, they talk about speed and Laba certainly has that. And so I think he's going to, he's going to be a good player. He already is. Um, but um but beaten by more of the depth guys for CC is, is not a, not necessarily the best sign. And also face-offs, they were a little bit more Ooh. even on Saturday, but it's seemingly all weekend at the key face-offs, you know, offensive zone face-offs for the Huskies. 90% of those CC won those. And then on the flip side too, like offensive zone face-offs for CC, they were winning the lion's share of those. It's just like seemingly all the, all the key draws you weren't able to to win. And that was another factor in not being able to dictate play throughout the entire weekend. Friday's game, Salquist was four and thirteen. Four wins, thirteen losses on He doesn't face-offs. take that much of a beating in the faceoff so, circle, typically. I will say one thing I did like um was uh, that we did change up our power play um, and that structure. And we talked about it a little bit also against Omaha as well. Um, But uh, a lot less feeding of the one-timer. And maybe that's a little bit because... um, Because the guy uh, had the flu. Yeah, VT was gone. But, um, you know, even on Friday, though, we did we were able to kind of work it down low a little bit more. And I, I thought that created a lot of really good opportunities that just ended up not clicking. So... Um, it's nice to have another kind of tool in the arsenal that um, that I think is a good, you know, other plan 
especially if you can work it off of the one timing and then you'd be able to, you know, instead go down low with it and get some guys to overcommit. So I do, I do appreciate that we've got something else there. And I, that I did think that was a, that was kind of maybe a little bit of a bright spot, but um, just the, the, the I, I don't know. Like there, there was just so much more bad that just, that just trumps, you know, obviously the power play. Um, and then the stretch passes, like I said, they, they weren't connecting at all. We don't have wings coming back to support the breakout. And when we do, I think they take off a little bit too early, which gets our defense caught low two on one. Um, a couple of like with, just with, unforced icings as you're mentioning yeah. kind of break, you know, stretch passes that just aren't sharp missing their mark and then just going back down for an icing that's a defensive zone face-off that you're probably losing that. And again, it's just, you're, you're climbing uphill all weekend mm-hmm. and uh, never were able to, to get on top and then, and roll down the other side and get some forward momentum. Always chasing this weekend. It was bad, yep. bad, some bad hockey actually to watch. Yep. Exactly. Kind of wish that we had our bye weekend uh, coming up. But um, instead, uh, like you said, we got Miami in the. Uh, if you're playing better, trip. we could make the joke that this is a bye weekend coming up. <laughs> but you got to so, take this theme as seriously as a heart attack. I mean, that's. They probably should yeah, have beaten North Dakota um, on Friday. Um, oh yeah, but uh, Miami, Miami's Twitter account tweeted uh, that they're up uh, four to two. And I quote tweeted and I said, I'd be excited, but I know how this is going to end. And it was sure enough. Yeah, it was like, of course, it was going to end like that with North Dakota coming back and winning it. So watch them mount that four to two lead. A couple of those goals given up by person were a little soft. Soft. So must have left the Um, cape back in in Grand Forks. But he gets the the final um, comeuppance when sweeping his former team. So. So before we uh, talk about uh, that series, um, let's uh, let's have probably um, the most undeserving pow of the weekend for this team. Uh, who do you have for your pow? Kyla Kupka. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't. Um, I actually, Kupka actually his game I really liked. Yeah, so. I, I I liked that he was giving me my pow. I, I this is fairly simple. Um, but it gives me an opportunity to to talk about him for a little bit. And because I, I was sort of reminded when we were going through fringe guys, Jags, as you've lovingly put them in this podcast, mm. you're doing like the Ashan Rogers and like, just give me like rank them kind of and mentioning Rogers about like, I'm not really sure what his role is and he takes too many penalties and he doesn't score enough. That, after I was kind of thinking about it, it reminded me of a couple of years ago, the f- the first, so the 21-22 season when we relaunched the show. And it was an early season series at, at Lawson. The Huskies got smoked uh, both games. And I remember you making the comment that you were flabbergasted one of those games that they pulled the goalie and Kupka was the extra attacker. And I watch Very him and think, so. like, what, what is Kyler Kupka? Uh, what is his role on this team? Because I'm not really sure what, what his purpose is. 
and you were kind of on the same page. He's developed. I, I, can I can I just say one thing quick? I think at that point when he hopped over the boards, I think he had like two goals on the season. I'm not even sure if he had that many. I mean, so yeah, it was a head scratcher for good reason. It's not like we were uh, out of line by saying that. His no. first two seasons, ten points combined in the 1920 and 2021 seasons. So, I mean, this was a guy that was buried on your depth chart. That's not, you know, he's not playing every game, just 12 games in the 1920 season and 23 in the 2021 season. That's COVID shortened, but still missing six or 10 games or so. I, I just, uh, I just clicked, uh, from the pod. Um, and, uh, yeah, he had two goals in the pod. Um, one was assisted by Meyer. The one other was a one was a... I think it was the first game in the pod against Western. And that one uh, was one. I, I think it was his. Yeah. It would have been his first ever goal. Yep. Uh, as a Husky. Cause he went goalless in his, and that was a real garbage goal. If I could remember it like went off his butt cheek and in some, one of those, it was like a last <laughs> minute goal too. I remember that for some reason, but, but fast forward, what, a year after that and we're scratching yeah. our heads and thinking what exactly is this guy's role now fast forward another two years he might be my favorite player on the team i'm not saying he's the best player on the team but his skill set in terms he plays a very physical game you can tell that the opponents hate playing against him uh, and he's a weirdly effective grinder but yet he'll put up a 30 point season this year uh and Perhaps getting back to Rogers, perhaps that's what he uh, molds into. Go Husky Zoo would I love that, that because Go Husky Zoo would then be close <laughs> on his 40 point uh, season <clears throat> prediction of Rogers. If you stack those two up together, and Rogers is got a similar build to, to Kupka as well. I mean, so I'm not going to give up on Rogers if I'm going to look at Kupka as maybe being the best possible outcome for a guy like Rogers. But yeah, getting back to Kupka, I just. He's a he's a guy that does a lot of the dirty work down in the corners behind the net cycling. He's sort of your Dan Chronic type. If he gets power play time, he's going to camp out front, get greasy goals like that. Um, he's got a good shot, I think. Um, and I think he's a being a veteran player. I think he's a he's a guy that um, the younger players look up to as well. So I just. Yeah, he wasn't like stellar this weekend because really no one was, but two goals on the weekend. And it gives me an opportunity to kind of sing his praises, which um, seeing how I was uh, with this same player two years, two years ago or whatever, 30 months ago, I'm nice to say that he's developed into someone that um, from this group of players, he's going to be one of my faves looking back. Yeah, so it's uh you know, when his uh, second goal uh, that has scored in his career was assisted by Jared Crockrell, that uh, <laughs> you've come a long way, kid. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but I, I, I definitely agree. It's been fun watching him kind of grow in his transition from being a, um, uh, a, a guy in and out of lineup. You don't know what he is. Finding his mold. Also coming back to um as well uh for for his graduate you know uh season probably not going the way he expected it to along with anhorn but it is um yeah it, it you know when you're talking about how he you know kind of gets down in the corners and he grinds it out 
also doesn't take a lot of penalties. Um, has only been whistled for four minor penalties um, uh, so far on the season. So he's been able to, um, you know, really be effective, really be a thorn in their uh, opponent's side and being able to deliver um, on, on the score sheet too, as he is what our second leading overall scorer on the team right now with 23 points, 11 goals, 12 assists, mm-hmm. um, leading scorer among the forwards. Yep, exactly. Uh, so it's been, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it, it's somebody also that I do agree. We probably don't talk about enough. Um, so so in, in that case, I, I do like the opportunity to just, just rave about Kuka a little bit. So hopefully next weekend uh, we won't have to give sort of more of a um, pity pow. That's that's <laughs> a phrase there. No pity pow, but a, uh, a powerful pow. Hopefully mm-hmm. that'll be the uh, the case next weekend. Uh, go Huskies woo his thoughts. Um, oh, mine as well. Uh, Kupka, although I did almost want to give it to Bassey. Um, and maybe that's more of a, because you've been so bad to see you perform in, you know, really well on Friday. Like you said, yeah, a lot of chances did end up going wide, but maybe that's a little bit also to, you know, a big body, uh, you know, trying to get around, him in the net, you know, takes up a lot of space that probably worked in his advantage as well. But, um, overall I have no qualms uh, about how his play was. Yeah. He probably would like that, um, uh, uh, third goal back, um, uh, or the third CC goal back on Saturday's game where, uh, Laba's goal, uh, shot kind of just, you know, he, uh, rebound was able to kind of squirt free there, but, Overall, I was happy with his bounce back um, against his um, against his own, own team, old team. Yeah, I would think too. Like prior to the third period on Saturday, I'm just like, well, even if even if Posh is healthy, which I, I'm not sure what his status is, but this weekend seems to be good enough for Bassey to at least like reassume the mantle of starting goaltender like for two games a weekend with the third period. Again, I, we saw some of the, the same issues that he's had the last couple of weekends rear its ugly head. But as you said, I would say five of the six periods. And then if you want to count the overtime, which he obviously had to come up huge on Friday, for the most part, this was a good weekend for him. And so I'm wondering that kind of maybe puts any sort of goalie controversy to bed again, until this next weekend, we see, uh, we see some, um, frightening play in uh in miami then we might have that same conversation coming back but another, i think he did enough yeah. to not make it surprising if he's gonna you know not make it a question of who's gonna be starting in net on friday because i'm fairly certain it'll be yep. it'll be bassy on friday um uh, I thought Rogers uh, played more meaningfully well. Um, he seemed strong on the puck, caused some turnovers and the forecheck. Ingram was good. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Ingram, especially. Um, I thought he had a um, a good weekend that didn't really come up on the score sheet, but um, he he was able to kind of press and forecheck and 
assert some physicality. Okabe was a little too dipsy doocy. Um, uh, new phrase. Uh, but uh, uh, he was uh, concluding uh, having seemingly four goals on the weekend. Um, he healed all the shots uh, alone uh, between the dots. So, um, yeah, I remember especially one that uh, had a great A chance that um, just kind of whiffed it a little bit off the heel and uh, Berko was able to make a really good save. Um, felt our defenseman was just getting blown by. May I just saw something on film was like, just skate around these guys. <laughs> Salk was scored. So that's not nice. Um, and then he went with Kupka. Um, he's truly perplexed by this team said, and yet, uh, we're still second in the, uh, conference An outside shot at the Penrose. We control our own destiny. Um, you know, 48 points should be enough for first in the NCHC. Good enough for second to five years. Um, but anyway, you know, he makes up the good point is that we've won six in a row against Miami, Western Michigan, and UMD earlier this season. So, um, you know, those are three of the four teams we have left uh, to play. So, you know, it's got a, you know, he, he kind of put that a little bit in perspective for me. Um, now, how we're playing, I don't know. Uh, but I know Western isn't, you know, lighting the world on fire. Uh, Minnesota Duluth uh, has quite a few issues um, that they're dealing with, especially health-wise. And, you know, we talked about eligibility-wise. But, um no, and then obviously, like you said, um, here we got uh, Miami. Who this is the weekend though, where I think anything less than six is a failure. I, I think you know you need six points, and you can't drop anything to them, especially if you want to keep in the race in the upper half. Um, but you know, if we go through and we get like a four out of six points this weekend, it, it, it's going to look. I think it's going to look a little bit short and we're going to be a little bit, a uh, little bit uh, sad with the, those results. If that's the case. I mean, yeah, yes, but I can't be that confident. Same as what I was feeling back in October when you were previewing them coming up to, to start the conference slate. Um, I don't, I I agree that should be the expectation, or at least that's what we should we should have that standard. Let's say, but I don't expect more than three points this weekend. If something tells me that they're going to drop one of these games, uh, and I'd hope to be, I, I want to be proven wrong. But a team that hasn't won in over a month, a regulation game at least, I can't just be like, yep. Yeah, Put it in the books. Six points. We should mention, I mean, this is a bad Miami team. and Miami hurt. hasn't won in nearly a month. They're a bad team, and they're hurt, too. So, you know, their, their regular goaltender is Neaton. He got hurt in the middle of the last win they had, which was a win against Western Michigan uh, six games ago seven games ago. And uh, this uh, Bruno Berveris 
has started every game for them since, and they haven't won one of those, one of those games. Uh, took a couple of these games to overtime. North Dakota, as we mentioned, had to tie that one up late on Friday and then win in overtime. And then they also took uh, Duluth to overtime before losing the week before. But um, they, they're banged up. They're playing a, a back of a net who St. Cloud did see in that first series of the year. And that was the game where they won six rip. Um, I remember being surprised. Like that was his first game in college. And they've been doing, remember the I Miami mean, was off to a cute little start for one mm-hmm. and one coming into that series. And then needing that thought played pretty well in the Friday game. And then kind of out of the blue, he starts this guy, Cole goalie hadn't played at all in college and he gets kind of lit up. And really from that series, it's they've settled into being the Miami that we know and love just one uh, win in conference. Uh, that was that Western Michigan game uh, in early January. I got to go back to, cause I remember last year I did the thing where I counted up like all of the Januaries that they've had, even stretching back to the last couple of Blasi years, the winning percentage was like sub 10, you know, it was like, they were something like five thirty-three and whatever monetize, like this part of year, we're talking about St. Cloud getting into kind of an annual tradition of having a January, February swoon. Well, that's that times uh, a few factors with Miami because this time of year, they don't get any wins, uh, like period. And mm-hmm. I mean, this February schedule for them, North Dakota, St. Cloud, and then they got to go to at Denver to close the month. I mean, these Husky games might be their best chance to, to get some W's uh, this month. And so it's been a constant struggle. Uh, for the Red Hawks, yet again, at seven wins, you know, did we have an over-under on whether that they would crack uh, double-digit wins? Because it's been a while for them. I mean, Bergeron hasn't done it since he's been there. Uh, his max is eight. He hasn't gotten to nine wins yet. <laughs> their last double-digit se- win season was eighteen nineteen when they won 11 games. And... Yeah, this is they it's a program that's fallen on hard times. Um, but yeah. yet the Huskies seem to struggle, especially in Oxford. I believe they've only had one sweep there since the uh, start of the NCHC. Um, they seemingly, no matter who the Miami team is, uh, is, is on the ice, uh, they're still able to, to get at least one win out of the Huskies. Like last week, last year, Huskies controlled a game seven to three. That was three, three early goals set the tone. Um, but then five, nothing win for Miami. The, the following game, John Waldron with the hat trick. It was like, who is this? Cause he might've not had a goal prior to that either. He's having a decent year for them, 17 points. So I guess circle his name because he seems to play well against the Huskies. But, um, yeah, it's a, a sweep in Miami, even considering how bad this program has been for the last decade. Uh, never a sure thing for the Huskies for some reason or another. So let's hope that that trend doesn't continue. I'd love to see yeah, the six last points, year. But... Last year was that perplexing, you know, seven to three, the first game and then five rip that we got shut out with. Um, and then prior to that, um, 
Yeah, it was uh, the 2021-2021 um, in Miami where we that was a split. Um, and then it was the 2019-2020 series. We did end up uh, sweeping them. And then before that, we swept them. So as... two, two sweeps. So they had a bit of a winning yep. streak there towards the end of the Blasi years. But um, so... Let's let's hope we can get a, a rep, uh, reprisal of, of that sort of good fortune. Um, love to see it because if you sweep them here, then the roller coaster of emotions. I, I don't know if that puts you back on the bargaining um, or back <laughs> on the depression. Is that the office uh, quote? Like, if I could be depressed, I'd, if I could get this whole office depressed, I'd be happy because they were. <laughs> Or if I can get them all angry, I don't know. We need to get back to anger. Anger is a healthy emotion. Ang- anger's probably uh, more enjoyment for our listeners too. If I'm incredibly angry, um, it's you know when uh, during the North Dakota series, you know, I, you know during that recap, I talked about how you know we kept Reese Graber um, off the off the score sheet. Um, and then, uh, we have, um, you know, Laba who for the most part we did up until, you know, that last, uh, period, um, where he was able to get, um, get that goal. So it's, it, it's going to be kind of another situation here where, you know, the two main pieces, um, you know, Fletcher and Barbellini, uh, that you're going to have to contain. You said Waldron. Yep. He's having a, a solid season as well. So I don't want to look past him too He'll much. He'll score a goal this weekend because uh, he's he scored in, in every series that they played since he started his college career. He's my pick to click for Miami. This ah, weekend. Sure enough. But, um, yeah, Fletcher with 11 goals, 11 assists. Um, and then Barbellini, nine goals, 12 assists. I feel like Barbellini also, um, is kind of able to uh, be kind of a thorn in our side, except I know he's been injured. So yeah, I, I remember when I was watching the uh, the Friday game there, they were mentioning their rash of injuries that they've had. And I know that the goaltender is out too, um, but it's very possible that this Fletcher could be out as well. Um, no, he played this past weekend. He's been he's been in the in the lineup, but some key contributors. Barbellini. Barbellini hasn't played okay. since uh, CC on on the night. And he's been a decent player, not just for this year, but for a couple of years now. 20, I feel like he's always points. been a thorn in our side, yeah. I think he was the leading scorer for him last year. That's not saying a ton because I think he led the team with like 23 points. But but yeah, if, if he's going to be out, then that should be another good sign for the Huskies. But again, that's as you're saying, it's not been the star players other than like Jackson Blake, I suppose, but. Even the Omaha series, you, you left Mueller off the board. Um, and so it hasn't been the uh, top line guys that have been killing you. It's been for these middle line, bottom six, and low scoring defensemen that have been pitching in a lot of offense uh, lately mm-hmm. against the Huskies. So got to watch out for all of them. Yep. And I just, I, I just really want to see some of these Huskies players get back going. I mean, maybe it's foolish of me to think like, get Molinar back going, but, um, you know, we had, you know, some really good work with gross and a coin, you know, a coin has been fairly quiet over the past couple of series. Um, Ryman didn't get a shot this last weekend. Didn't play that great against Omaha. So that's probably the reason why, 
but um, I'd like to see him kind of back in the lineup with his speed. Um, so it's, yeah, I just, I, I just hope I see a, some good response out of this uh, Husky squad here this weekend. And this is the time where we desperately need it. Like I said, we desperately need six points and to, you know, a loss here can really tank our pairwise um, when it, when, when it comes to um, tournament prospects. Yeah. And you're mentioning like Molinar. I mean, he hasn't scored in 13 games since the first Duluth game, which I believe was the game winner. Yeah, late third period game winning goal. He took a major the next game, and that's the butterfly effect for his season because <laughs> he's got two assists and no goals since then. But if we want to recapture some so of that Molinar magic, take, he had the hat he trick. To, he had the hat trick against Miami against Bruno Bavaris on November 4th. And that was sneak preview to uh, the uh, upcoming Herbies after the season. That might be a goal of the year nominee. Um, one of those goals, I remember being a highlight real goal for Molinar. That's true. And so his peak of his college career, arguably, was that series, <laughs> that game against Miami. So if he can channel that, because I think maybe you're talking about Jags. And let's let's talk a little bit about the Jags. We went through the Jags a little bit last week. It wasn't... We- it wasn't contextualized Which, as we're going through the Jags. We were just like, how do you like, well, how do you like a Sean really is kind of what the whole point of that was. Yeah. Do you kind of, Which we should f- just, we should just first define for listeners who are not aware. Jag is just short for just another guy. It, the, not to so. be confused with the David James Elliott um, procedural uh, judge associate general which spawned um, which long-running series with several spin-off it's spin-offs of its own you know like the the tree of spin-offs that starts with jag what did it spawn uh i'm gonna guess ncis correct it's there probably the more famous show at this point but jag started it all so mm-hmm. not that um but uh just another guy we're now so would you put like a Sean in that group? Do you think a Sean's just another guy or you feel like he kind of elevates above the Jag label? I think he elevates in my opinion, but all the rest of those bottom six guys, like I would almost put Molinar in that, in that group. The Jag kind of had a month there where he was un Jag, but for the majority of his career, he's been Jag before. Like, yeah. Majority. I, I would say that's fair. I guess when I think of Jags, I also think of guys really in and out of the lineup. And yeah, like, so by that definition, yes, Ashan is, I put him, I guess, on an upper level of Jag, put him into the NCIS category. Yeah. Um, so like, it just, this is the difference between last week and this week, last week, we were kind of like, Oh, you know, I like uh gross and, um, you know, Ashan, a cute little player. And, you know, Rosborough's got his game here and there. And, now this week we're like, just I don't bunch, think I've just ever said that about Rosborough. I said first that. off, I said it's Rosborough. <laughs> so. um, but now we're like, yeah, well, they're just a bunch of Jags. Um, so is it? Uh, we should kind of land on something here because I like some of these guys, why? like Ryman. You're talking about oh, why do we have to land on anything? <laughs> I don't think I don't think we need consistency. 
and let's just say Jag is not a permanent label. We're not branding them with a with a hot iron here that says you're <laughs> Jag and you can't you can't be unjagged. Um, because yeah, a lot of these guys are freshmen. Ryman, he's not a guy that's getting regular every game work. Even Ashan, for as much as we both like him, he's not like an everyday regular yeah. uh, in the lineup. And so, whereas I think a guy like Molinar more fits that bill because he is an everyday guy. Um, and he has been for several years. Um, and so there's, there's points where you can elevate yourself out of that label. But when we're struggling to the extent that we have been for so long now, then that's when the labels can become more and more apparent. And we're sort of waiting for some contributions. And you said that, yeah, they, they go through waves. Cause we had like Rosborough had a couple of weeks where he was all right. A coin is another good example where he had a couple of weeks. They were like, wow, might have something mm-hmm. here. And now he's been real quiet for in, in equal amount of time that he was impressive. And perhaps that's just the, the way that it goes, you know, especially younger guys um, who are sort of still fighting to get regular playing time that, yeah, you're going to just count on spurts of this guy playing well now, and then this guy playing well, and hopefully they overlap a little bit, but it, ultimately I think you're going to depend on your top six and maybe that's where it's like we should be more concerned about the Molinars and, you know, Solquist. We I know we've talked plenty of, about him, but, you know, Akabi as well. Like we've seen flashes from Akabi lately, but it's still, you know, it's still not quite clicking to the extent that we've mm-hmm. thought. Ingram's the, the one guy, like we're talking like Kuka might be my favorite player, not necessarily the best player on the team. I think Ingram's close for me saying that he's the best player on this team. I don't know if that's like a hot take or not, but the way that he's been improving the last, I don't know. He's like the one bright spot since 2024 started because it seems like he's been able to be more assertive on the ice. Um, Cause he's not just, I'm just going to shoot every time I have the puck. Now he, he has a sense of about him that he knows kind of when to play make and when to take a shot. I thought he was fairly solid this, this last weekend. And different, I think, in a, in a way that he was in the first half of the season, or obviously last year. It seems like he's maturing, and it's it's good to see. And I I kind of see him like if I if I see a a good play developing, I'm I'm hoping that I see 34 with that puck because I'm almost more confident than anyone else on the team that he's gonna he's gonna do something productive with it. But yeah, I mean, so those are the guys that I really look at as far as top six. That's who you're going to ride or die with. Bottom six, there are always going to be some shuffling, and we can we can expect to see some growing pains within that group. But as long as we can get some contributions, uh, that's going to be a bonus. So I, I don't know if that made any sense, but um, but yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have some jags. This isn't the uh, '85 Oilers here. It's not like we're stacked up four four lines deep, but. Um, I don't know. We're, we're, we're anything to add to, to the Jag talk. Um, I have never seen an episode of Jag or NCIS. Um, I don't think I have in either. all, like in bits all and pieces honesty. And there, I'm not a, I'm not a big procedural no. fan. No. Um, um, except I guess if you call psych a procedural, I'm a big so fan not. of psych. Uh, I've seen a fair amount char- of law and order, but that's like characters. Welcome order. on USA network. Um, I 
my wife loves law and order and but but she doesn't want to like like she she like she wouldn't like go on like a streaming service and pick law and order like she wants tnt to tell her what law and order she wants to watch so like it's I always just, thought that was the best way to to do seinfeld instead of like binging it or like prior to it being available on hulu just throw it on tbs what do you get what do you got for me that's almost the best way you need kind of a streaming services need like a random episode yeah. generator where you just i suppose you can make like an app for that just like which episode should i watch and there you go um uh i do agree with you in terms of ingram's development and that's been incredibly surprising especially as i've been watching his game specifically more after i said he's quietly had x amount of points earlier in the season um i would still kind of go with uh vt as the guy who is you know the guy i want to have the the other other obvious candidate i suppose you could put anhorn in that category as well but i'm we're just kind of limiting ourselves to uh to forwards i guess in this discussion um but as as far as like going through some of the some of the jags there on the team i was i was wondering if like are we being maybe too harsh and expecting too much from this group? Because, you know, going into the season, I was talking about how, you know, I was incredibly concerned about their center depth and how, you know, we don't have a lot of big name players committed for this year. The biggest name was Barrett Hall, um, who's really been up and down. I felt uh, throughout this whole season. Um, But, you know, it felt like some of the bigger names here are, are going to be coming next year. Yes. Um, you know, with, uh, with, 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 uh, Bernavik and, um, uh, Thorson probably coming in next year as well. So it's, you know, so, you know, maybe just seeing some of the guys that are in these, you know, I'll say a lesser Canadian junior leagues, coming in maybe we're expecting a little bit too much and i'll put clark in that situation too um because i thought he did not play very well this last weekend either um that you know maybe in line with the kupka and what he grew out to be maybe i'm putting a little bit too much emphasis on you know how gross is or how ryman is or anything along those lines and maybe that's just not fair and I, I, I think like coming into the year, we were both confident in this team. You were second place prediction. I was first. Correct. And I think our thing is, yes, the center depth is a big question mark. And the, yes, this freshman class doesn't appear to be as, as uh, high, that has a high, as high of a ceiling as future classes will. Perhaps there is no one true standout like one of either Bernovic or Thorson, like even with Warren Clark being a drafted player, considering his youth, like being 18, we didn't like at the beginning of the year, I wasn't even expecting him to play as much as he has already this year. Like he's been benched a few times, but I figured it had been more regular. Like he's kind of a part-time player. He's been mostly in the lineup through this year. Mm-hmm. And I agree that he's had good weekends and bad. Um, and with the rest of the defense, it's been, mostly bad the last month uh 
But my thing, I was more banking on the upperclassmen carrying you. And maybe it's not fair to call out Anhorn as being the, you know, being the top scorer on the team. But I think we can agree that he's not hit our expectations, which, yes, may have been too high. But he's left a little bit to be desired. And Okabe, too, expecting a lot more from him. He's... I mean, we were thinking like a 40 point season based on his trajectory, like basically adding 10 points every year, roughly. And thinking a fifth year from him, he's going to get into that 40 point range. It's not going to happen for him this year. And he's, yes, he's been playing better of late, but that first half of the year was a huge disappointment. And so that's, I think, more to blame. And I think Bassey struggles throughout the year as well. Um, we're, I think, again, this season's not over, but if we're, if we're writing a summary of how the, how the story is unfolded to this part with still a third act to go, there's still a third of the conference schedule left to play eight games left. So season's far from over, but if we were to write the, the summary of the first two thirds of the season, um, I would, I would chalk up the disappointment because I do think if we were going to, summarize a out of the pairwise uh, so at this point of the season based on our preseason expectations which yes you had them at second and that's where they are right now but they would be out of the pairwise position i would think that you'd have to classify that as a disappointment to this to this point where we're at right now and i think the main reason of that is that your upperclassmen have let you down more so than relying on the freshmen which you've had some contributions here and there. And I agree. It's not like been one true standout hall has been hot and cold. And, but I, I don't, I don't tend to lump the majority of the blame on those players rather than the ones that you have the experience with. And you have more solidly founded expectations like we had with guys like Kabi and Anhorn. So but, and that was what I was hanging my hat on with the October stretch and sort of being like, yeah, rebuilding. Let's see if we got something with these young players, seeing something that we can build on, get them some regular action. Yeah. Put it, put Warren Clark in every game now, because the season might not be a, a NCAA appearance kind of season, but then that seemed to, when the, when the team was, was humming, in November and December, you, you got those contributions, not every game. And it was not the same guy every game, but you had a Jack Ryman pop in a game winning goal, mm-hmm. or you'd have a, a Rosborough play very well, or, a, you know, Grant Deshaun scoring some key goals. And you were able to get uh, solid contributions from those young players, uh, even to the extent where they were still sort of picking up the pace, the slack for guys like Okabe during when, when the season was going, going well for them. But uh, now we're here out of the pairwise position and we're looking for culprits. I guess my instinct is to look at the veterans before I look towards the more of the role players. But I can see your, I mean, they, they, they shoulder part of the blame as well. No one, the fact that, yeah, no one's really stepped up and emerged other than I would say Werner, like Werner's yeah. an every game player. And mm. it's not like he's putting up a 50 point season, but you can see the kinds of contributions he has. And like at this point of the year, you'd be surprised if he was out of the lineup because he's Very got a pretty, so. 
solid roll face-off dot penalty kill. Like he does a lot and he's kind of a Swiss army knife out there and scoring you an overtime winner uh, this past weekend. So other than that, even Paul's a guy that hasn't really proven to be a two, a two game, a, a weekend player. Um, a lot of that is due to injuries, but, uh, but you know, I tend to, I tend to lay the blame more on the, on the team leaders rather than the rookies. So, but it's a good conversation to have. Um, Werner has eight, uh, eight points in the last nine games. Um, it's a good so run. he's been, yeah, he's been incredibly strong. Um, anything else? Um, kind of going on for this upcoming series around the horn for anything that kind of piqued your interest when, um, looking around college hockey, um, anything else on the men's side you want to touch in before we, uh, talk about the, uh, the women's, uh, against Wisconsin. So you mentioned we've, we've talked about North Dakota sweeping Miami, one of those in overtime. Oh, wait, hold on one second. I forgot one thing. Speaking of me, um, uh, just back to our prop bets. Um, so the uh, over under for Mietnan combined points was uh, forty five and a half. So right now uh, they are twelve points away combined. Um, you know, like I said, Werner uh, eight points in the last nine games. Um, obviously, uh, uh, VT has had a strong season as well. So 12 points away the rest of the season. Uh, Solquist, one goal um, left before he hits his. Which do you think happens first? If any of them happen, first off. Do you Wait, think so Solquist gets points. one goal? Or do the, both Mietnans combine for 12 points? Well, you got to go with Solquist there. That's not some. That's not a do sentence you, I've said often. <laughs> do you have to? <laughs> I would think it's more possible for one guy to get one goal rather than twelve points get combined over two players. Mm-hmm. I mean, me, you know, Solkowitz could get that in empty netter. You know, that would require. Saint I mean, Claude he'll be out on late, the ice for it. That so. and that would require Saint Cloud to have a late lead in which the other team was uh, tempted to pull their goaltender, which. Haven't had that situation nope. in a while. Haven't, but, uh, haven't had that. I'll still when go was, list. When was the last empty netter at yeah, all? Because even those like situations, those wouldn't have yeah. those wouldn't have prompted goaltender pulls. Maybe the first game in Omaha might have been an empty netter there. If it wasn't that, then yes, it was. Kupka had the empty netter empty in netter. the Omaha because okay. like prior. I mean. Michigan, there wasn't an empty netter goal. Uh, the mm-hmm. two Duluth games, those were tight to the very end, one goal games. The Miami series, that 6 nothing game, I don't think they pulled Barreras. And the 3-2 to two game, actually Miami had an extra attacker goal, so I know there wasn't an empty netter there. Maybe the Alaska series? That might be the only empty netter they have this year. Because it would, it maybe the, the Friday. Kupka one? Maybe the Friday Alaska game would be the only other one I can think is a possibility. Check that. No. Yeah. Or yeah, no, I'm looking at the Saturday game for Alaska. Yeah, no empty netter in the Friday win versus Alaska. 
and obviously none in Mankato when you were swept and you only beat St. Thomas by a one nothing score. So I think Western Michigan was any of those not on Saturday and not on Friday. I think they just got the one empty netter all year. So <laughs> let's change that. Let's get an empty net. If we get an empty net or goal let's this weekend. Not, and let's, uh, let's win by four or five. One, one person who is not uh, shy about losing by one more goal is uh, Brian Nadalski. Um, it's true. Who, who even uh, pulled a hola and then uh, who went back out to dive and make a really nice save um, yeah. in, in that uh, second game. Which again, it's a Saturday Sunday series, so we're going to be going kind of back and forth when it comes to that. So I apologize. Um, no, well, any anything else around? You were talking about uh, Miami and North Carolina. So I'm let's, sorry. Let's do that. Let's, let's just okay. Let's just do it. Sorry, other conferences. We'll get, we can get back to it at the end of the show if we really want to. Okay, sounds good. Um, just such a great transition that I had, and I just blew it. You're so. good. Um, I'll, I'll edit all of that out. So just, just, so, yeah, no, I won't. Um, so women's, uh, Huskies, uh, Jojo Choback gets the, um, uh, goaltender of the week for her performance on the, uh, the Saturday game, the first game, uh, with the two to one overtime loss, um, Taylor Lynn scores again early. Huskies can score early, just not as often. You know, as the game kind of went on, Wisconsin flexed their muscles a little bit, ended up out shooting the Huskies 47 to 15, or I'm sorry, 47 to 25 um, on on the game. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Wisconsin ended up tying it in the second period and then um, uh, scoreless in the third Overtime comes and then three on three is just a little too much. Caroline Harvey uh, with the goal um, and able to really, really cement her, her status here in the WCHA. Cause you know, she had, um, you know, a heck of a play as well. Um, you know, just kind of all weekend, just a dominant force back there. Uh, Saturday's game. Nope. Yep. Yep. Put it one, put it all in the jar. Uh, Sunday's game, uh, five to two lost uh, with the uh, empty netter. Um, uh, again, a goal getting the lead. Uh, uh, Sorio with the goal um, with her six of the season. So for um, a freshman coming in, she's been you know quite the bright spot for the Huskies. Um, Harvey with a wonderful power play goal in the second period, um, and then you know talking about people who not able. You know, not uh, able to pop on the score sheet much, but uh, able to really be a thorn in the Huskies side. Happens on the women's side, too, with Lainey Potter um, scoring two goals, um, you know, in fairly quick succession within, you know, three minutes of each other. Uh, second and her third goal of the season. Uh, Taylor Lynn made it interesting. I made it four to two um, with uh, with the extra attacker goal with the, you know, 11 minute at the 11 minute mark. So Adolski you know, going hard and fast uh, with the pulling the goalie. Uh, but uh, empty netter made it five to two for Wisconsin. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, taking Wisconsin, obviously, to a uh, to overtime is, you know, getting a point out of there. Uh, Jojo really standing on her head, you know, incredibly, incredibly strong game from her. Um, 
and uh, just uh, not able to really match uh, Wisconsin's firepower. Saturday's game or Sunday's game, kind of a little bit more of the same. Not out shoot, not outshot as bad. And there was even, you know, um, some instances there in the second period. I thought we had, you know, quite a few chances too, quite a few good looks. Um, unable to, um, you know, kind of even even that game up. So, um, watching that game, I was, uh, you know really happy with the Huskies effort, but, uh, just not really enough to, uh, tame the Badgers. I, it was, I, I did think it was a pretty entertaining weekend of hockey. Uh, the Saturday game in particular, I thought was like of the four Huskies games this weekend. That was probably the most entertaining one to watch for me. Yes. The shot advantage was pretty tilted for Wisconsin, but the Huskies were able to get like a lot of, I thought, surprising considering Wisconsin, but a lot of rush opportunities, two on ones that they were able to create. Like their of their scoring chances, there was a lot of great A's in those scoring chances, and it was a shame that they weren't able to extend their lead. They had plenty of opportunities to do so. Um, some good goaltending from from Wisconsin, which I came into the weekend kind of thinking that was their weak spot they certainly stepped up uh, this weekend um, getting a pretty garbage goal for the Huskies to start the game on on Saturday the first game um, but you'll take them however they come uh, yeah. that one was certainly uh, not not a highlight real goal but uh, uh, had some opportunities there was a great save that uh, Gervais made on um, I think it was Gentry Gentry had another good weekend I thought missed that uh, overtime session on Saturday because you crashed in the boards late like as the buzzer was, yeah. was uh, going off. That was a scary period. moment. And yeah, I had to get the trainer out there, and you're kind of wondering if that's going to be a lingering injury. Like she's had some injury issues already this year, but she was back on Saturday, or ding, again, back on Sunday for game <laughs> two, and I thought she played another good game on Sunday. But uh, so there are a couple of key moments there where St. Cloud could have made that a 2 nothing game, but uh, – Wisconsin was able to keep it to, to one nothing, then tie the game and, you know, Harvey see just how much he can take over a game there kind of just takes the puck and says, you know what, I'm going to end this game and top shelf uh, goal there, tucks it in somehow past Chobak, who, yeah, I thought she, of the two goalies, she was, uh, she was the better one this weekend for the Huskies. Um, I thought she was excellent. Uh, not to say, not to put anything aside from Ahola, another kind of, Ho-hum, great performance from her, keeping the Huskies in the game for as long as she could on Sunday. But uh, Chobeck, to me, got the uh, the upper hand of the two goalies this weekend. I do have a little bit of beef with the NCAA Hockey Twitter account who said you can't give Harvey this much room. And I'm like, it's three on three. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of room. Like, Like what she made a hell of a play. There's not really much you could do there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's one of the best players uh, in college hockey, and on that kind of stack team, for her to to stand out to the extent that she does from the blue line uh, is is really saying something. But Jake Baskin tweeted out that uh, she thinks that uh, Harvey would be the best defenseman in the PWHL as well. I'll I'll take his word for Currently. it. I, I don't think that's uh, that's much of a stretch. Um, I can't say I'm a, uh, uh, an, a, an expert PWHL mind, 
but uh, I would say that Jake Baskin probably is um, based on his knowledge. So yeah, she's, uh, she's an excellent player and we saw why, and, you know, mentioning last week, the uh, series in St. Cloud about how even uh, those games were in terms of shots and, you know, possession, slight edge for Wisconsin in those metrics, but uh, St. Cloud able to kind of hang with them. Keep in mind though, the Harvey was not able to play those games. You, you see the difference that she makes uh, on this team where uh, not only is she a stalwart defenseman, but she can step in and, you know, create game winning plays like that in, in, in the extra session as well. So yeah, it's, it's disappointing. Um, but to get beat by, a player of that caliber um, makes the sting a little less, I suppose. Well, mm-hmm. What I'll say too, kind of what made it uh, good atmosphere all weekend at Laban, uh, good, uh, good crowds. They seem to do these Saturday, Sunday series frequently there. I don't know if that's because they want to have an opportunity for the women to kind of play an isolated game rather than going up against a men's game. Um, and so whatever the, cause the, the men's team hosted the Gophers this weekend. Um, but I like, I like that. It gave me yeah. a good opportunity. I'd rather watch a game on Sunday afternoon than Friday afternoon. Uh, Correct. Because I don't have to bring my iPad into work. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I like the energy. And it seemed like, you know, when, when Wisconsin, you know, they get behind both games, but then they're able to tie it up and then obviously win on Sunday and then win going away on Saturday. But you could tell that Wisconsin, this was a big weekend for them. Like St. Cloud's not just the pushover yeah. that they were for so long. And that gave me a little, some, something to hold on to after a one point weekend is a said, like, you know, the, this team is taken seriously by the upper echelon now. And, Harvey's uh, celebration was yeah. a little bit over the top. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, she was excited to get a game-winning yeah. goal against a team like that gave her a fight. She's probably and, not and doing that uh, against Bemidji. Yeah. Uh, and if you can take that as a sign that St. Cloud is, has like risen to the level of legitimacy in such a short time. Now that's kind of a, I don't know. It, it's, it's not the best prize you can take. Like, Hey, they finally take it seriously. Like the prize you want is points and wins. Um, yeah, because time's running out of the season here, and from where we're sitting now, been doing. I was doing some some looking at the uh, the pairwise uh, after this uh, after this series. Uh, we, we just got three weekends of regular season games left, uh, and then the playoffs, obviously. But um, so time's a ticking, and I see some separation in terms of the pairwise. For my lights, it looks like the top six in pairwise is pretty rock solid. Like I don't see movement from this group of play, uh, of teams. The top six: Ohio State, Wisconsin, Clarkson, Colgate, Minnesota, and Cornell. Um, Cornell's been playing pretty well of late. Uh, beat Clarkson over this past weekend. Um, which is a big win for them. They've also gotten mm-hmm. wins against Quinnipiac earlier this year, beat St. Lawrence. They've actually beat Clarkson both times. They played them once in overtime. Um, so that's solidified their playoff positioning. And 
uh, ECAC has two more weekends of regular season play before their playoffs start. And they've got bottom feeders in the ECAC. So, and yes, if you lose those games, that can cause you to sink. But women's hockey, it's a little less parody. Like it's going to be much more surprising if Union can beat Cornell. Whereas like similar like positioning in the pairwise is you can't take those games for granted on the men's side. On the women's side, you can kind of chalk these wins up fairly certain. So I don't see Cornell dropping below eight. Uh, and then I see uh, a group of four teams straddling the bubble. The last two at-large teams and the first two out outside the bubble. These are St. Lawrence, Minnesota Duluth, Quinnipiac, and St. Cloud. There was a fairly big jump in terms of RPI from St. Cloud to Connecticut at 11. And so I don't see Connecticut, although I think we both picked them as our Hockey East representative in the tournament. Mm -hmm. This last pick the uh, field episode at the beginning of 2024. Pretty much a long shot for them to be a at-large team, like within the top eight. Uh, but those other four, the other two spots of at-large is likely like 95% going to be between two of those four teams, St. Lawrence, Duluth, Quinnipiac, and the Huskies. And I, so I saying that I still think the Huskies have a shot here and considering the upcoming schedule, they're playing all teams above them in the pairwise coming up with the Gophers first this coming weekend. And then they got Duluth. I, I guess that cause they, they got uh, Bemidji to end the season, Bemidji, but yeah. the, the next two series playing teams that you can gain in pairwise by winning. I, I think you got to win at least two of these games, if not more. Like you might want to, you might want to take a majority of the points against Duluth in Duluth, mm-hmm. particularly because that would go a long way towards securing home ice. I should mention with Duluth's uh, wins this weekend against St. Thomas, they have jumped the Huskies in the standings for the WCHA, which you kind of seeing that coming based on the schedule. St. Cloud is kind of able to keep a hold on them, even with getting swept uh, by Ohio State and dropping those games against Mankato and St. Thomas, because that was the weekends that Duluth was playing the Ohio States and the Wisconsin's. But now Duluth is being able to, to get into their softer part of the schedule, and, and they handled, they took care of business against uh, Mankato this past weekend. And so we'll see if they can um, continue to, I don't know, hold serve. Maybe it would be the uh, uh, cross sport analogy uh, against St. Thomas this this coming weekend, playing down in St. Thomas, and this is when the Huskies play a home and home with the Gophers. You're really circling that series in Duluth uh, next weekend, the 16th and the 17th. It's going to go a long way towards dictating who's going to have the home ice spot because it's most likely going to be those two teams in the first round of the WCHA playoffs and. Seeing those four teams like battle it out for the last two spots in pairwise, like you can kind of see like it's probably going to be one of either St. Cloud and Duluth and one of those two ECAC teams. I don't see yep. one league taking both of those spots. So it's... now St. Cloud is 20 points ahead of Minnesota State, and Minnesota Duluth is 15 points behind. Minnesota. So there's what 16 points remaining? 18, 18 points remaining. So yeah, 16, St. Cloud has three. has okay. clinched at least so, a fifth place. Yeah, so we've clinched uh, 
fifth spot at least. Um, and it is essentially one result, one win for the Gophers will make that one win or one loss for St. Cloud would clinch them no no higher than fourth. Yeah. So I mean, just put it simply, they're either gonna be fourth or fifth. Yeah, they're either and Minnesota Duluth as well. Yes. Obviously. Yes. So so this essentially is a locked up series. Yeah. And with us two so close in the pairwise, I mean these are gonna be um you know incredibly important games and that's where home ice i think can you know really help us um and yeah i think whoever takes whoever gets home ice is winning that series and it might take three games either way Mm -hmm. i liked how st cloud played against duluth at the herb earlier this season uh and it's tough for them to win up in duluth that doesn't happen often but we'll see. I mean, we, let's not get too ahead of ourselves because we got the Gophers this coming weekend, and you know we're we've been talking for a while here about we're just not all that impressed with a twenty-two five and one team, <laughs> right? But it's kind of true. I mean, they mm-hmm. just uh, went through the uh, the also rans in three straight series, sweeping to, uh, Bemidji. Mankato and St. Thomas. But I mean, two nothing against Bemidji, three to one versus Bemidji, four to three against Mankato, two to one in overtime against Mankato, three to one and five to two against St. Thomas. And I watched a good part of the uh, second game at St. Thomas. And yeah, that was a tie game about halfway through the game. And so they're early in the season, like they're the first time they played St. Thomas, they were winning eight nothing and four nothing. Uh, and Bemidji so, State was nine two nine one, and then come back with a two nothing three one. So it's uh, it's uh, they're ripe for the picking. We'd hope. I mean, again, I'm talking I mean, about yeah, like thinking that Duluth's beatable, and but I mean, the Gophers are never uh, never like a lock. Uh, yeah, that's like true. Opponent, even if they are in a down year for for their standards. But as I'm, I'm, I'm ready for Murphy Himmlerova part two. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they, those two players are as well. Uh, <laughs> no love lost between those two. Uh, probably have, um, let's, let's say over under total penalties for those two players against the, in the weekend. I'll set it at three and a half. For the two games, over. I was gonna say four and a half. Would you? Would you still take over at four and a half? Yeah. All right. All right. I'll pull it at. Put it at four and a half. Four and a half. So, I, all right. I I picked the over. And there might be like how many of those are gonna be coincidentals? One with both of those. <laughs> with both of those uh, players involved. It's uh, yeah. She had uh, Murphy three, or three penalties she took in that game at the Herb. It would have been the uh, Tuesday game in December. Mm-hmm. And then that was the game where Himmlerova got ran. I can't remember. It wasn't Murphy that ran her, but it was in retaliation to a play that another hit on Murphy. And so things kind of got out of control there at the end of the game. And then Bowlby went That's after right, Murphy and yeah. just just shoulder right in the jaw. And Abby Murphy spun around. 
That's right. Jed so. Murphy take a, took a dive penalty earlier in the game. Yep. She gets on people's skin. I think it's fair to say. Mm. And uh, she can score the puck too. The problem with Gopher for the Gophers is that there's not, there hasn't been a, as good of a supporting cast around Murphy as previous uh, teams for the Gophers have, but it's still obviously a team you got to reckon with this Bouvang for them. Um, she's got 32 points. Um, she had a goal and an assist. Um or just sorry, she assisted on the hemp goal. Hemp has also been a good player and a player that's uh, played well against the Huskies this year uh, as well. And so this isn't necessarily Heisey and Zumwinkle, but um, Murphy's a, a pretty good player in her own right and plays a physical and an offensive game. I mean, 91 penalty minutes this year for Abby Murphy. That's got to is that, is that, be close to the league lead. I can't imagine. Not only players. the league lead. It's got to be like 20 minutes ahead. Like, what is her lead in that category? The lead in that category is 32 oh minutes. <laughs> she has 91 penalty minutes. And uh, next from Lindenwood, Rachel Goff and Caitlin Cielo from Assumption both have 59. She's like uh, she's like a Rick Tockett of, <laughs> of uh, women's college hockey. Because he would put up like 40 goal seasons with 300 penalty minutes. Yeah. Uh, I think he, I think Rick Tockett, this is, a, I think I saw this recently. He's, he's the career leader in Gordie Howe hat tricks, like in all time NHL uh, history. I think he's got like 19 or 20 of them. Um, Gordie Howe only had like two, I think in his whole career. Like it's kind of a myth how that yeah. became a name for him, but having the goal, the assist in the fight was actually a Rick Tockett. That's the, the all time leader, but so yeah, she's a she's Sutter a, a Maserati from Rensselaer leads the men in penalty minutes with seventy five. Wow. <laughs> so Abby got, is there like a game? I'm going to go with her game log here because I wonder if there's a like one that's she just took like twenty minutes. Well, I, this last game against St. Thomas, I mean, seventeen prop, against St. Thomas, yeah, twelve against the Midgey, yeah, um, seventeen. Active game, two goals and assist and 17 penalty minutes. I wonder too. So she got a game as conduct. Have we heard if that was, that comes with like some discipline? Like that'd be be kind of nice, right? I mean, I, I would be, I'd be sad because I would for my over under it would. Well, she still might hit that in one game. That's true. So yeah. Do you want to change the over under? I actually, actually, I actually like that now with, uh, Because Himmler Robo will pick up her slash. She'll she'll cover her her load. But uh, Murphy, she can she can do that in in one game just fine. I think. So it's uh, yeah. I uh, if you are able to check that, let me know. It looks like yeah, three games this year with odd number of penalty minutes, which means that she took majors in those games. So yeah, she's she's getting a couple of majors involved. Uh, not many games without any penalty minutes. Like she's you, she, she gets, she's gotten to know the Ritter arena bench, uh, penalty bench, uh, penalty box bench quite well this year. Mm-hmm. And so keep an eye out for that. Uh, it's, it's, uh, 
she is uh, not making friends in the WCHA. Let's put it that way. But I think too, sort of the second half with Minnesota. I mean, just they're when they're. I don't see anything. So okay, we're gonna assume she plays. Interesting too. Like who's gonna be a net? We've we've come to know and love. Um, don't call me daughter. Ed, uh, Eddie Vetter's uh, child, uh, Skylar Vetter, uh, in in net for for the Gophers, for the Gophers, uh, gotten both games against the Huskies earlier this year, but you know chased in both of those Ohio State games. Yes, Ohio State is is uh, elite, but it seems like her grasp on the starting job uh, since that Ohio State series uh, is no longer. I mean, she actually came in to relieve Lucy Morgan in one of those Ohio State games. So it looks like they've been on a split between um, Vetter and Lucy Morgan, who's a St. Lawrence transfer. So seeing as that's how they've been playing it of late, really the second half of the season, kind of a full split between those two in the similar vein of Chobac and uh, Ahola, I would kind of expect to see uh, Morgan get one game and Vetter get the other uh, and so Morgan's been the slightly better goaltender for them this year. And uh, we'll see how, see how the Huskies can react to seeing a goalie likely if they are going to see Murphy this or uh, Morgan this weekend, a uh, goalie they haven't seen before, see how they uh, are able to pounce on her. But we've got the uh, St. Cloud's got the home game on Friday. Is that right? Correct. So home game on Friday and then at Ritter on Saturday. Uh, we we think right like this isn't any CHN shenanigans because they don't have a time listed for the Saturday game. So I, I hope that's not like a Sunday game that they just haven't updated on their website. Uh, you'll figure it out. Um, uh, uh, we'll, you'll tweet it out, right? If there's yeah, if there's I'll... any uh, game time changes that are not reflected here on the CHN webpage, yeah, with how reliable they are. But I mean, let's hope that we can get at least a win out of this weekend. It's it's easier said than done, obviously. But uh, considering you still got to really hustle. Um, if I'm still on the taking half or taking points against in half of the games against the top te- the top four teams in the WCHA, in order to complete that task for the season, you need to get points out of three out of the next four games. So. Again, this this series against the Gophers and next weekend at Duluth. That seems like a tall task, but especially it's doable. That's, you know, just looking at it, that's five straight losses for the Huskies, including one against St. Thomas, which you know yeah, is I mean, was an annoying one. It's deja vu all over again with uh, you know both men's team and the women's team are hitting the skids at the same time. Yeah. Not fun. Not not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. So um, let's go then around the league. Anything men's or women's uh, that you kind of want to cover that piqued your interest um, over over this last weekend? I have one maybe odd uh, nit to pick with the NCHC. You know, mentioning mentioning the North Dakota uh, series 
five out of six points over Miami, the Western Michigan and Denver split out Magnus and, and Western with its second route over Denver this year, beat them seven to three in Kalamazoo earlier this year, and then seven to two on Saturday. And then Omaha sweeping Duluth. But one thing I've been noticing this with the NCHC schedule, it's like this last weekend, both Denver and CC played home games this weekend. And so those games are starting at the same time. So we have one East Coast game with Miami, one Central time zone with Omaha, and then two in the mountain. Can't you make it where, like, there's... And then, like, last weekend, there was no games in Colorado between, you know, hosted by either Denver or CC. Can't there be a way that we can always have one late game? Like, spread these games out. Like, for this coming weekend, we've got two games on the schedule because now we're in the bye week. Every team mm-hmm. is going to get a bye either this week or next. So we got this week coming up. It's we got home games with Western and Miami, both teams in the East time zone. So they're both back starting at the same time. So you got to pick one or the other. There's no way that you can bounce around and catch both of these games. Wouldn't it be better for the conference to sort of try to have fans be able to catch more than one game on a weekend? Like have a Miami, uh, Miami St. Cloud series, and then have the Denver host a series. You can catch two games, but so I don't know why you have both Colorado teams host on the same weekend. I don't know why you have both East coast or East time zone teams host on the same weekend. Three or two weeks ago, I suppose, you had Omaha, St. Cloud, and Duluth all host the same weekend, all in the same time zone, all starting at the same time. It's like, can we just shuffle things around a little bit? It seems like there's one week a year, one weekend, where there's a game that starts at 6, one that starts at 6.30, one that starts at 7, and one that starts at 7.30. And so you're like, you're in heaven, because you can... (laughs) can catch like the other games during the intermission that you're watching. You can flip back and forth. You can watch most of the late game after the first game's done. And, but that's like a rarity. It happens like once a year. I wish that they could, you feel like they have the power to make a schedule. That's a little bit more conducive to multiple game watching or channel surfing. If there is such a thing on an app. Uh, So that's my weird rant for the week. I mean, maybe it'll make it a little bit easier once Arizona State gets in. I bet not, because I bet there's going to be a weekend where uh, CC, uh, Denver, and Arizona State are all at home. <laughs> are all at home, and those are the three games. Uh, uh, you got a point. Yeah, I, it always annoys me, like, just, uh, like, this weekend as well. Like, I, that part doesn't annoy me as much as I guess I, the times are a little bit staggered with a seven o'clock and a seven o five Eastern start. <laughs> I thought like, for, I thought at first you were going to say something like one of them started at seven thirty and the and the CHN app was wrong, <laughs> but no, you're just going with a five minute extra start, yeah. which is what CHN says. So that very well could be wrong. So yeah, exactly. But it's um, like push one back a half hour like like don't give me an intermission to look at because i mean everyone's intermission is garbage just 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 i mean and especially when you get down to college level two it's bad so some of them just put the freeze frame of this of the zamboni the zamboni going by like the north Dakota is like one of the few that actually have like on st cloud too that actually have like a intermission program of some sort but so. I will say too, was watching that 
because one of the reasons I kind of wanted to go to Miami, other than just scratching it off the list and be the last NCHC venue that I will have gone to. But another reason was their uh, streaming. Their feed. Their feed's always terrible. I, they must have made some upgrades because I don't know if yeah. you caught any of the, this past week. I did catch the North Dakota. Some of the it North looked Dakota like game. it was in HD. It looked like it was much closer to the action. Closer. Yeah, you could see the puck. It was, yeah. in, which I didn't talk about it, but Friday's game against CC, I thought that one we were filming from the moon. Like I felt in that game, I felt like the camera was so far away. That was it was the same with the with the Huskies women's games this weekend at Wisconsin. Those those cameras were from yeah. uh, Door County, I think, a little far they're up from there. So. Um, but I thought like the Saturday game against CC, I thought that one was like just zoomed in more. Like you can see a little bit of the puck. Yeah. Miami historically has been really bad. And then happy to see when I saw, I was like, Oh, all right. We get like, I can see the action. I can see the puck. That's good. Oh, I didn't get to my biggest pet peeve though of, of the CC and their television, their camera. It's like, why are you doing these WWF quick cuts to a different camera angle when the play is going on? It's like, yeah. it's yeah. it's like all of a sudden you get the scoring chance and you want a quick cut to the corner angle for some reason, which is objectively one of the worst places to watch a game. And uh, so you're trying to like jar yourself, like, wait, wait, what's going on? And then you quick cut back anyway. And it's just like, all you do is just ruin a chance to see a good scoring opportunity by doing this quick cut to a camera angle that you don't know what you're going to see. And it just, oh, I kept doing that over and over again. And I've decided it ticks me off a little bit more than the penalty box cam, which thankfully Omaha doesn't do anymore. But at least the penalty box cam, you know what's coming. It's just so random when all of a sudden you're going to quick cut to the to a, a random camera shot somewhere else. It's like, why are you trying to be too cute? Like, just use that camera for replays like you should. Don't just quick go to it during the, when the when the puck's in motion. That pro- just terrible producer job. Whoever's that, just your garbage. Stop it. And I didn't even realize it until like the third period. I'm like, oh wait, why am I? Why am I listening to these announcers? I forgot to do the KVSC stream on Friday. I did it on Saturday, but I, on Friday and that announcer for them, the play-by-play guy, he's just, he's, he strikes me as odd. He, he seems like an AI more, more than like a colorful announcer. Like he's just, he's the same guy. He was doing the same shtick, you know, the last two years when they were seventh place in the conference. But mm-hmm. listening to him, this is the same exact team because back then it was just like, oh, the shucks, they lost five rip. It's just the bounces just be all this way. And now it's just like, ah, oh, this is this team is doing really good. And he's just very odd. I don't, I don't even know his name. And I think that's best because, again, I think he's just like a hologram. Like he's like the holler. He's like the Snoop Dogg or uh, Tupac that played at uh, Coachella a couple years ago. That's the guy. I'm afraid that, I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I i enjoyed uh listening to uh to the boys on yeah. on saturday hall and oaks what do you think about that by the way i love it i love hall and oaks it's pretty good although it's a little on the nose to the actual hull and oats 
Remember that from the early nineties blues, which was like one of the best lines. Like they were both putting up like 120 point years yeah. when they were together, Adam Oates and Brett Hull. So there's always, there's all, there's already a hockey precedent for punning on Hall and Oates, but I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So, uh, questions, uh, let's hop on over. Um, had a couple of questions. Oh, first off, uh, corrections. You done messed up, uh, hey, Ron! Correction here. Uh, first, um, my, uh, wife who listened to the show did give me a couple of quick, uh, collections about the figure skating scandal and a couple of errors that I made. She sent me about five pages of notes about the whole situation of what's going on. So, um, uh, first off the team event, I said, I thought it debuted this year. Uh, it actually debuted in Sochi in 2014. So it's been a while. It's been around for a while. Valieva was 15 when she was caught with the positive sample. Um, and she actually was able to compete in the individual competition because the team competition was like before the Olympics official, like the opening ceremonies um, to fit everything in. So um, uh, Valieva did compete in the international, even though um, like she already had it at a positive sample being tested or like already had a positive sample. But they said that um, it was it would it basically would be too harsh of a punishment to kick her out. They they were like, let's let her skate and then we'll disqualify her if that's if that's the case. But we don't want to ruin this opportunity for her to speak in the to skate in the Olympics. She won the short program and absolutely bombed the free skate. And she ended up fa- placing fourth. So it didn't matter that she didn't place on the podium. They were able to get their medals. So the, the, um, uh, basically they awarded the medals then, um, uh, ended up being that us was first Japan was second. And then they invalidated all of Valieva's scores, um, which made the Russian team, which was a Russian Olympic committee. Cause again, they can't just go by Russia uh, place third um, in the team event. However, even though they, um, they got rid of all of her scores, they didn't bump up everybody else's, which if they bumped up everybody else's score by dropping off Alieva, Canada would have been in third getting a bronze and Russia wouldn't get a medal. So now there's going to be formal complaints about pretty much everyone. Like Russia is going to file a complaint because they shouldn't, they feel they shouldn't be kicked out of a gold medal. Canada's upset because they felt like they should get bronze. Um, and they're now cheated out of that because of it. And now who knows what's going to happen to Valieva. Um, she uh, announced that she is banned for four years. Um, and, just face it, her career is probably over because she's a Russian figure skater and they don't last very long, female ones, just with how um, a Terry coaches. So those are my corrections, um, and I apologize to my you wife. Got a, yeah, you got a lot of that wrong, um, but not as wrong as me who brought up Carrie Strug because I thought we were talking about gymnastics. So <laughs> keep that so. chin up. Yep. Yep. There we go. So, 
Um, so, yep, just wanted to get that correction. And thank you for my wife for for listening um, uh, to the podcast in general. She'll probably have some uh, hot takes about Law and Order and um, what's his name? Sam the Waterston. Guy that, Sam Waterston, yeah. So, uh, how bad of a dad does someone have to be to give college hockey player the middle finger um, while sitting by them? So, that was Dan Jacobson. That's uh, in reference to the uh, dad who, yeah, flipped off the, the Denver dad who flipped off the Western Michigan player after uh, he scored a goal in Western Michigan's route of Denver in the uh, Saturday game. Which I caught that so live. Not- I was watching that as my secondary game on the tablet. And I figured that's going to be memes for a while. <laughs> yeah. So now it's, yeah. Well, do we have, this is sort of a dad assumption here. Do we know he's I the mean, dad of the true. kid? That that could no. have been like an uncle situation. It could have been an uncle. Could have been, could have been like been that. Could have, the kid could have been someone else's kid. And he was just sitting next to the kid with another group. I f- I well, we're just going like to go with he's like a, there he's were open spots dad. and there were I, I'm just going to go with he just had a real I, I, the fingers. One thing it was the smugness like after bump. Well, that's kinda, Denver bump fans. For you. And then he he sort of did like a nodding the head like you saw me flick you off. Yeah, but that's Denver fans for you. They got this presumptuous attitude of just being douchey. I never like to do that. Like, oh, see, I'm going to say this this guy, and that's the avatar for the entire fan base because every team has. Oh, every team like has that. it. Oh, Saint Cloud fans. I mean, there's there's bad apples in everyone. So I, so let's not let's just not lump this all in Denver. Put the the guy was there in at the end of a seven to two ass kicking. So I mean, maybe he was kind <laughs> of a loyal fan, and he's just a little upset. He he was still at the anger stage. Not ah, at the oh, uh, yes. depression stage. Because so, so much has gotten so poorly for Denver well, this season. <laughs> that goaltending uh that goaltending situation might drive someone to get a Xanax prescription. I'm not yeah. sure. So there you go. There is that. Mm-hmm. Uh any updates on Posh? Um last I heard it was week to week. Um some kind of a strained muscle or something like that. So we'll see. Like, you heard it was week be... to week, and that was a couple of weeks ago. So that's yeah. like week to week a couple weeks and then week to week. I don't know why you're well, asking uh, us. We don't, we don't have any inside information. <laughs> um, uh, in your opinion, uh, what are the chances of regionals moving uh, to on-campus sites? Um, I originally thought it would not be a possibility, but it feels like more and more steam is getting behind it to where I would even say it's a 50, 50 shot. And I would say even probably a little bit more so, like a 60-40, that they eventually will. I think oh, in the yeah. end, it's going to come down to money. And I think that this is a cheaper option. Eventually would be the, that, that's that's doing a lot of heavy lifting there in that question. Or or your, in, in your speculation. In my, sure. Because they're. they've got to come up with, they're, they're announcing new regional sites. It's either during this year's regional or like in October it's within the 2024 calendar year. So pretty Mm -hmm. soon we're going to get the next batch of regional uh, spots and they usually go like four years out. So the next time that they announce, they'll announce for 
until like 2030, let's say, just to throw out an even number. I would put the odds of that, whatever announcement that is, like 95%, it's going to be all neutral sites still. But the next announcement, I would still, I would think that that percentage is going to shrink because like you said, I do feel like there is a shifting of opinion. I will say it seems like there is a sectional divide here. Um, You brought up uh, like around Christmas, it was the uh, hockey East commissioner Metcalf. Mm -hmm. And he did some interview with one of the Boston papers that was saying like, we all, all of our coaches like the neutral sites. And so it seems like East coast coaches like it. Whereas the West coast, namely guys like David Carl's been outspoken about this. Um, it's more the Western leagues, those coaches. Cause I think did, did, uh, Weems go on the record to say that the majority of NCHC coaches were in favor of campus regionals. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was the case, at the very least, there has been coaches uh, like like Carl who have been in fa- vocal uh, in favor of of campus regionals. I think the um, East Coast bias kind of narrative is a little overdone, but I think there is a, some truth to it as well. Where just the the bulk of teams, the majority of the sixty four teams in college hockey, what forty of them roughly are pretty close together there in the new England yeah. Northeast States. And if you're always guaranteed at least two, if not in some years, like last year, three regionals in that area, if you counting Allentown in, in that region, then yeah, for them, it's never, you never have to get on a plane to go to any of these regionals. You're relatively close to home, which means your fans don't have to also get on a plane to go to any of these, any of these regionals. And so it might be as simple as that, that for the East, it's not as much of a problem because they feel like it's a system that works for them and their fans. And you can't say too, like uh, you can't say necessarily that it's such a disadvantage for the West though, because yes, the East has won two of the last three national titles, but going back there, it was what six in a row from the NCHC. Something like that. So, I mean, the majority of, of natties have still come from the West in this last uh, decade or even stretching out beyond that. So you can't say that the extra travel burdens for the regionals, for the Western teams are putting them at, at a disadvantage in terms of winning the whole thing. But that's a, that's a divide that's probably going to be more important than maybe the money aspect of it. Because if enough coaches on that, in that, area of the of the country are not willing to really move from the current situation. I don't think there's going to be a critical mass that is really going to change things. There's got to be, but I, I still, I do think there is a shift and who knows, maybe, maybe you see uh four or five Western teams have to jump on a plane this year to go to uh, suburban St. Louis and be like, why? Yeah, this is, I don't, I don't really <laughs> like this. Uh, and maybe they're like, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe campus wouldn't be so bad. So it's, uh, it's possible. Like I said, I still would imagine this next batch, we're still going to be campus, but, um, 
maybe the announcement after that, I'm more confident that there could be at, at, at least not um, campus sites, but some some change, either the number of regionals or like my crazy harebrained idea of putting it in like a super regional situation in Los Angeles or something like that. Some different from what we're doing now, 16 teams and four regionals. I, I would say that the the change, the times come for some tweaking of that system and yeah. we'll see if that comes to, to comes to fruition. Um, and then last question, am I too hung up on us not having enough uh, guys that can score even semi-reliably? Um, having three to four forwards out of 12 isn't nearly enough. Um, I, yeah, it's, I mean, just some of that consistency, especially even with the three out of the, the 12 or so, I mean, we're talking about like, I think VT is the only one that's been, you know, fairly consistent scoring all year. Yeah. He'll have a couple weekends where he doesn't score a goal, but I I would say he's never been in a slump. Um, but you know, you have Molinar who came in and then now he's out. You had Okabe, you know, obviously he was out now he's in. Um, so it's, um, Kupka has been, you know, pretty solid as of late. And, and I guess I'd have to double check to see, he might've been even more productive than I remember, um, you know, going back throughout the whole season, but yeah, it's, you know, some of that depth, um, Ingram's been coming on here quite a bit as of late. So, oh yeah, Kupka has been pretty reliable. But got off to a slow start. I think the first couple of weekends he didn't do much, but uh, um, starting in like late October, he's been pretty consistent since yeah. then. Yep. So, but yeah, yeah, and we've we've got some yeah, we real talented players, but I, I I'm not sure if we have. Yeah, we certainly don't have the depth that we had in those number one overall seed years. That's not. That's not saying anything controversial there when you're 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 running three, four lines deep and guys with 40, 50 points in on the season multiple. Uh don't have those kind of stats uh, with this year's team. And again, it, I think it comes down to I mean, like top top two lines in particular. Like what what holds back CC, I think, from really becoming a serious threat is that they don't really have a second line. They have a good first line, but not really much of a second line. Kind of say the same thing about Omaha with Nebraska, with uh, North Dakota. I think like watching them again a little bit this weekend, they got a great top line, but I think a key player for them, it's one that I don't think St. Cloud ever had a, a chance in this guy, but he was a big pickup for them in the portal that Cam Berg from, uh, from, yeah, Omaha. from Omaha. He's been picking up some key goals for them uh, for, for North Dakota this year. And as a second liner, plus he gets a, a fair amount of pl- a power play time um, with them as well. Like you see that, like if you get like a, a solid stud second liner, um, especially playing center, that does wonders for scoring depth. Uh, whereas you look at St. Cloud's second line center, it's Mason Salquist. And that's, that's if he's not first line center for that game. And so that, there was kind of a difference and Salquist put 12 points. I don't think he's like necessarily a problem. It's just as a second line or quasi first line center, you, you see the difference between him and a guy like uh Berg or the players that Denver puts out on their top few lines. Uh, that's what separates, 
you know, good to average to middling to like tournament level and beyond types of teams. So, I mean, yes, this team doesn't have like the true star power that's going to rack up uh, the numbers, but I still think there's enough overall depth that can certainly make the tournament, but I'm skeptical on that in and of itself. And even if they do make the tournament, it'd kind of surprise me if they would make a run in the tournament based on what they've got. But mm-hmm. there's still time for, for me to uh, change my mind about that. Cause I've, my mind has been changed a few times this year. So it would be fitting for it to change yet again, but I would tend to agree with the, uh, with the questioner um, that uh, it's, and it's not even just offense in particular, like we've mentioned other than the CC weekend, the weekends before that, able to generate a lot of scoring chances. It, the problem there yeah. was a lack of finishing. And I think it's guys like Solquist, um, which that does stick out when you're generating that much offense, but just not able to punch in more goals. That's more what's holding them back than the overall offensive push. Again, we didn't see that this last weekend in CC, but hopefully we can see that in Miami against a lesser opponent. You can maybe get that, you know, good transition and neutral zone play, get those breakout and stretch passes clicking. This team can dictate offense. It's just, uh, I think a matter of depth and finishing chances that they're able to produce. That's, I think was holding the back in this, mm. in this funk. No, I a hundred percent agree. Um, well, uh, Oh shoot. Um, pow for the women's. Um, Taylor Lind, um, I thought she was, uh, incredibly good, um, in all aspects really, um, for the, for the Wisconsin series. Um, like I said, Jojo, you know, was really the reason we got that one point. Um, she was a contender as well, but, um, I think I'm, I'm going to uh, go with Choback for that yeah. reason. Kaufman had a couple of assists on Sunday as well. Uh, I thought she had a pretty decent weekend, but, Showback, yeah, you wouldn't have, have made that game to overtime if not for her performance. So it's been rare, but I've given I've given a whole uh I think these I think the Ohio State win that weekend I gave a whole of the the pow, even though she just played the one game. So I'll I'll uh return, return the favor. favor and uh and give the pow to, to Jojo this week. So the a straight uh goalie platoon situation. Here you go. Mm-hmm. You get one, now you get one. Right. So, but she definitely deserved it. That's for sure. So anyway, that about does her, uh, this episode of the Huskies hockey podcast, uh, reach me at Weldy or no, I am Weldy at more clappers, M O A R more clappers, Andrew. Well, I, you can reach me at email Andrew at, uh, or Husky. What is it? Andrew. I totally forget what my email address is. Was it your uh, email Husky, or your green email. ground? You know, the green ground is Andrew at greenground.net. Yeah. Um, okay. Email, I thought you were just yeah, combining I, I, the two. I, I was. I don't know why. It's the, <laughs> e- I'm sorry. It's the email that I use for green ground. I just spoiled it. I got to change my <laughs> password now, I bet. But uh, the, the email is huskieshockeypodcast at gmail.com. If by rare chance you are also going to be at the games this no. weekend uh, in Miami, do let me know. We can get up for a beer. I am looking forward to the trip. Um, I was doing some research. I had to buy it to kind of look around because it was kind of a niche product, but I got it. I got it off Amazon. It's called 
Gator Raid. Gator and then R-A-I-D. It's like a spray canister. And because I found out that alligator attacks are most common in February. For some reason. I I, I didn't really know why. But it's kind of like a bear spray. So they say just... If you see an alligator coming, you kind of spray it between Gears. the eyes, they say. Um, and okay. that will prevent the alligator from attacking. And so I had to stock up on that because I kind of have a fear of alligators and crocodiles and all those kind of like swamp creatures. And so I'm, and then reading about that, it kind of gave me a little bit of the willies. So I had to stock up on some gator raid. And, uh, but yeah, I, I'm well prepared for my trip. And so uh, I hope to see some other Huskies fans there. And if, if you are planning on coming, let me know, we can go get a tiki drink, uh, crank up the Jimmy Buffett and uh, maybe hit a Margaritaville at cheeseburger in paradise. I think one of those chains is still active, Uh, but (laughs) something like that. We can, we can uh, hang out some some Husky fans in paradise. Does the Gator raid also protect against crocodile or just alligator? Uh, crocodiles. It says lizards. Yeah. But cro- it's crocodiles and alligators. It's, okay. They, they give it a 97.8% rating on effectiveness. Oh, okay. Um, nice. That's what they guarantee. I actually, I, cause I was pretty interested in this. I actually was able to, to Google them and send them an email um, about a potential sponsorship um, opportunity. I have not heard back yet, but um, okay. uh, for those that are uh, have been missing our sponsors, it, trust me, I have two. Uh, we have might have one in the works, and hey, uh, we'll we'll awesome. see. I hope I don't need to use the Gator Raid, but um, <laughs> here's hoping that if I need to, it will be a ninety-seven point eight percent effective. Perfect. That's awesome. Uh, which is really good because this this podcast ain't free, folks. Uh, we got we got software, uh, and so we do appreciate uh, you hanging Gatorade. in with our Gatorade. Yeah. Is is I put that on the company card, so yep. I, I hope you're I hope you're okay with that, boss. Yeah, that's fine. So <laughs> it's a write off. So. Do you want your co-host to be mauled by an alligator <laughs> uh, during a Huskies road trip? I don't think so. Doesn't matter. Get. Get back on the pod. We got a recap. I don't care if you're in the hospital. Alligator marks. Until next time, go Huskies. Woo!